that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, and I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 I said amen. amen. If you believe it, give me a loud amen. amen. All right, the Lord is good. Now, can you just greet two, three people around you before you take your seats? Bless them, all right? Don't just say, how are you? Tell them you are well. Speak a good word to somebody. Say, God, we increase you today by reason of knowledge and understanding. In the name of Jesus. All right, the Lord is good. Once you've done that, please take your seats. All right, let's open our Bibles to the book of Luke. I just want us to read something which I've read several times, but it's always good to read the word of God. Let's participate in that reading again today. Luke chapter 24. Uh, we start from verse 13, but to save time and get to the main thing we want to bring out from it, which we have read several times, I will jump over a few verses as I go on in my reading. From verse 13, it says, And behold, of course, you know I'm reading from the New American Standard. And behold, two of them were going that very day, that is, the disciples, to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying, that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, now this was Jesus speaking, verse 25, and he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then beginning from Moses, now this is what I want to bring up from here. I just felt like reading everything. He said, then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Now that's just what I want to bring out. The fact that beginning with Moses... And with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. It is important we follow this point that the scriptures contained things concerning the Lord Jesus. And I want to understand, I want to also understand something. It's not just about Jesus that the scriptures contain something. The Bible, the word of God contains something about everybody. Now, there are scriptures for us that we have compiled from Genesis all the way to Malachi for the law and the prophets. Then we have from Matthew all the way to Revelation for what we call the New Testament. But there are books that God has that are beyond this. 
I mean, these are not books on the earth, so I'm not telling you to go and look for the seven books of Moses. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> the seventh book, whatever, those books they talk about those days. I'm not talking about go and look for the light of truth by Abdurashin. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the scrolls that Joseph, uh, Joseph Smith translated for the Mormons. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying that there are books in heaven. I hope you're getting my point. There are books in heaven. Each person actually has a book. And beyond the book, they have books concerning each individual. Bear that in mind. God has scrolls about us in heaven. All of us, when you get to heaven, you see in the library of heaven, there's a section that contains your name. And all the books there are your own books. And the Bible says, let's just quickly read, to, read it, because it's good to read the word of God, Psalm 139. Now, for time's sake, we'll just go down to the verse that's relevant. Verse 13 says, For you have formed my inward parts. Verse 14 says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Then in verse 16, he says, Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and your book were, written, were all the written, the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. I think let's just read that in the simpler translation. New Living Translation says, um, which verse is that? Sorry. Verse 16. All right. Okay, it said, Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. I want us to understand that. So if you see, there's another thing he said when John was looking at the, in the book of Revelation. He said books were opened and another book was opened. You must understand that. Books were opened and another book was opened. Now what you find concerning that is that that's the principle of judgment in Revelation chapter 20. Let's just read it again. I want to read quite a number before I start talking. Verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who, who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened. So those books were the books of all the people. But there was one book, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. So notice the books. So there were things written in the books. The deeds were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. We see the dead were judged according to their deeds. And their deeds were written in the books. So you see there are two sets of books for each person. There were they, there are books written when the, about the days of your life, even before there was any one of them. And there are books written after those days, that is, where the deeds that are important are recorded. Your deeds are recorded. And the Bible says that judgment is based upon a number of parameters, including things written in the books. So I want you to understand something here, that we all have books. And then there is a book that covers everybody. Inside that book, you find the snippets, you know, portions of each person revealed for us. There's a, inside, the, see, let me say something about the Bible. The Bible is unique amongst all books you read on this earth. It's very unique. Because it's a book of revelations. When I say revelations now, that is, God gave people revelations and they wrote according to the revelations given to them. There's what they call the law and the prophets. And we know they are true because Jesus said they are true. You see everything he will say, don't you believe what was written in the prophets? He will take you to what Moses wrote. All those things were inspired and the Bible says that men did not write it out of their own you know, wisdom or their knowledge. It's as they were inspired. And then when you want to interpret them, you also interpret them by inspiration. Now when you see what we call the New Testament, the New Testament is a record of the, the life of Jesus on the earth. And then a record of the things that he taught to his disciples. You see Peter 
everything Peter has wrote, if you look at closely to at what James wrote, they are very, very similar. If you look at certain things that Paul wrote, they are very similar. But then you now go beyond that. Then John also. Then Paul, after he had, um, of course, he didn't know Jesus in life. And even James did not follow him in life. You understand? Now, after the death of Jesus, people like Paul were called out. And one day Jesus sat him down and began to teach him things that other people did not understand. Things he wanted to say to Peter, but Peter was afraid to hear them. So he said those things to Paul. And Paul wrote them down. And he went around teaching people. Alright, so a time came, he wrote a number of books. Most times you see him writing letters to people. Paul went around from one place to the other teaching people. And Peter acknowledged that the things that Paul taught were the word of God. He said some of them were difficult to understand. But it was God's word. Peter acknowledged that. So you see, the record of the words of Jesus is actually what you have in the whole of what you call New Testament. I hope you're getting my point. Even revelation was just the revelation of God that Jesus gave to John. Are you getting my point? So what you call the New Testament is just what Jesus has spoken. Now, I'm, going, I'm, I'm trying to explain something here. All these things are spiritual words. All these things are spiritual truths. When you are reading your Bible, you are seeing how God reasons. What, what I thought, like, like, the one we quoted last time, Paul died, Saul died. And what was going to be recorded is that he died for the trespass he committed against the Lord. Now, they wrote with prophetic insight. In fact, I was listening to somebody explain it. And the David Apostle was teaching that the book of Kings was called the former prophets. In our Bibles, we don't call them prophets. We call them, you know, like history. But for the, to the, in, the, in the Hebrew Bible, it's amongst what they call the former prophets. Okay? Samuel is the former prophet because they dominated that those were records of prophets. They even said that Jeremiah, I think, was the one that wrote Kings. Samuel wrote, of course, um, you know, Ruth. Um, um, what's the name of the other one close to Ruth? Judges, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Judges. Judges and Ruth were written by Samuel, and the first and second Samuel were also written by Samuel. And so all of them were prophets, okay, because they were written by prophets. Now, so they wrote with prophetic inspiration. They did not just give you a history, they, what they did was to give you how God reasons. Now, so when you have your Bible in your hands, is what is inspirational material. And so when you are reading, when you read into the scriptures, the Holy Spirit still breathes upon them and makes those words alive today. I hope you're getting my point here. So that each person, there's a way God designed it. Through the book you have, you can see into the books that are in the heavens. Yes, yeah, possible. It's possible. That's, you see, the, you know, now that I've been the Bible teacher for some time, I realize that scriptures, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not intellectual. Okay, it has some, you can use the words and follow some tenses, but the truth is that what is inside it is not intellectual. There's one experience I've had many times. I don't have it often now because most times I'm in a place I'm teaching. I, you know, it's unfortunate, but you know, most times I'm in a congregation, I'm preaching. That's 75% of the times I'm preaching. I, I'm hardly in a congregation, I'm not, I'm not preaching. You know, it's very, very bad, you know. Now, it's, you'll be laughing, I say it's bad, but the truth is that I, I feel bad sometimes. I just want to sit down and be blessed. But most times I'm in places, I'm the one preaching, okay? But, now there's one thing I used to, I, it happens to me a lot of times, when other people are preaching. There are times, you will say, let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalms, let's say Psalm 22. Just before you read, of course, my eyes will get there before you start reading. Okay? And I'll just read the first um, verse. And instantly understanding will come upon me. Instantly I'll just understand something. Wow! I, I want to write it down. Then the preacher will start preaching. Exactly what I, I, I didn't know it before. I don't know whether you're getting my point. I didn't know it before. It was when he said, open to Psalm 22. That I read the first line. And in that instant, I just had great understanding about some matters. And the preacher starts preaching. And guess what he's preaching? That understanding I just got now. That tells you something. In the ambience, in the atmosphere there, a spirit of understanding was released. It's just that I contacted it as soon as my eyes hit that scripture. And I don't know the man. I did, we did not discuss, discuss what he was going to preach. I did not know what he was going to He just stood up and said, open to this. I read this. I said, wow. Now, that tells me, from, that's my own experience. It lets you know that what the man is going to say that day, okay, is not based upon what he himself knew. It's based upon understanding. That's how it is. The Bible is alive. The word of God is alive. That's why I say the word of God is alive and active. Sharper than two, only two-edged sword. There was a set of messages I, I listened to by Kenneth Higgins some time ago. 
I have not been able to locate them. I know I have it somewhere, but I've not been able to locate which particular message. I know I will still get into it one day. He said there was a time he wrote a book. Gordon Lindsay wrote another book. He did not know Gordon Lindsay was writing. Gordon Lindsay did not know he was writing. Then one day, maybe one of them was preaching somewhere. And the other said, oh, this thing you are preaching about, I was writing a book about it. They bring their books and compare, and it's almost word for word. And listen to me. Each person, they don't live near each other. They just sat down on their tables at home and were writing. And they were writing almost word for word. He said, by the time you compare the book, the books, when you check the words, they are like more than 90%, you know, the synchrony. Word for word. There's just one thing about, and I've had that experience before. I remember when I was in school and I took over the pres- as a president of my fellowship. I was very young at that time. I was still a teenager. And I took over as a campus fellowship president. And of course, you don't blame the people who were before us. They, they will get scared that this young boy, how can he become the campus fellowship president? But I was. And so, we had a culture of preparing a whole semester's program before the semester starts. So with the leaders in the fellowship, if campus is supposed to, a school is opening maybe on the 1st of September, we will arrive like a week before that and be having meetings. Now, because I was a medical student, none of my guys there was also a medical student. It was easier for us. About three of us were medical students. So we were always in school anyway, so it was not a problem. So we used to have meetings and prepare for a whole semester. And we have meetings twice a week. We choose the topic, we choose the speaker, we choose how it will go before the semester will start. So as soon as students arrive, they pick a copy of the program for the whole semester. So this particular time, the one I was not going to take over, I was I had been the ESCO before, now I was going to take over as we we'll call it general coordinator, GC. Now I was going to take over as most people call it president, okay? So the president before me, for he took it upon himself, you know, and I learned the lesson from it, to try and help us get started. So he wrote down, took time out to pray and fast, and wrote down a long list of topics that he wanted us to handle the next semester. Basically, he was afraid whether we'll be able to do it with small boys, a small boy like me being in front. I hope you're getting my point. Basically, that was all was going on. Okay? So, but I remember that we were roommates. I remember that time. He would, I still remember very well. He would just say something to me like, oh, he has a suggestion about something. As soon as he said, I'll just open my book and show it to him. What for what? What he just suggested, I wrote it down three days ago. We did not discuss. By the time he finally gave me a list of all the suggestions, I remember, if there were 14 topics, all right, I had 12 of them written down almost word for word. There were only two that he had I did not have, and I did not take them. So if he saw our final program, you know what he would have thought? That this guy is very humble. He took all my suggestions. As God lives, I didn't take one. I did not take one. As he was praying and speaking in tongues and getting inspiration, me too, I was doing my own meditation and scribbling things down. Yet, by the time he saw the final program, I'm sure he was happy. Ah, these guys, uh, they are listening. But the truth is that no, we're also inspired. So spiritual things are real. That's the point I'm making. I've had many experiences like that. You walk into a place, you just sit down, you just have a thought, Wow. Understanding, you know, read Bible, and then the preacher comes starts preaching what you just talked about just now. I still remember the time one brother finished preaching. So, ah, I went and asked him, said, Sir, this thing, it was senior to me. This thing you preach, where did he hear it from? He says, God's word. I felt like I said, okay. But that's what I preached like three days ago, and you were not there. It happens sometimes. It's as if there's a spirit just in the air. So these things are spiritual. I want you to understand it. So the, the scriptures in your hand is not, it's not a history book. Alive. Now, why I'm bringing up this issue, okay, is that so when you pick these scriptures, through the book in your hand, you can see portions of the books in heaven. Let me say it again. Everybody has a book. Nobody was born without a purpose. Before that conception was granted, the book was written. I don't know whether you get my point. Before the conception was granted, the book was written. So once they sign off on a conception, the book is filed. And I want us to remember, I say it all the time, the fact that God has proposed something does not mean it will happen automatically. That's what they call the sovereign will of God. What do you mean by the sovereign will of God is this? The sun will rise from the east, 
and set in the west. Whether you pray or you don't pray, that's your problem. The sun has been commanded to go like that. The way this move, moves around, those things you were not asked. Now listen to this. When nations will rise and nations will fall, they don't discuss that with you also. Don't let anybody deceive you that people in America got together and they built a powerful nation. It's not true. That season was determined before they were born. Those things were determined. That's what they call the sovereign will of God, therefore. Jesus will come back. It's determined by the Father. It's only inside him. Nobody knows when. That's a sovereign will. Do you follow my point? Now, there are cycles. This world must come to an end one day. There are things that God has determined. He didn't ask anybody. If you like, pray, don't pray. Fast, don't fast. Obey him, disobey him. They occur. Now, there's what they call the command will of God. What is the command will of God? The thing that God desires. But he has left the execution of it or the initiation of the activity in the hands of human beings. For example, if he says... Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart. That is a desired thing from God. But it does not force anybody to love him. He will call people to love him, but they have the right to say, no, I will not love the Lord. I hope you're getting my point. So every time he commands, it is because he requires our will to be deliberately subjected to his own. So anytime the will of God, the will of man, is in operation. We can only walk with the command will of God. What I'm going to say is this. We have to now deliberately take our wills and subject our will to God's will. And we can refuse. We can decide to be stubborn. God can say, I want the Amalekites destroyed. Why? They have sinned. They are not deserving of judgment. So he will say to Saul, you go and destroy the Amalekites. Saul will go there and refuse to do it. And God will allow him to refuse. So in the same manner, when he keeps books for us, he writes the days of our lives, it does not mean they will happen automatically. They can be cut short. They can be truncated. The Bible says they tempted God in the wilderness and limited the Holy One of Israel. His will was to take them into the promised land, but they did not get in. Why? Because what he desired... Depended on his on their cooperation, and so when they did not actively cooperate, what God desired did not happen. I've read this many times, and um, I mean, what I mean is I've read in different places. Preachers trying to explain, and that's because people keep on saying that if indeed there is God, why is everything on this earth scattered? Why is um, uh, Islamic State uh, what do they call them in uh, Boko Haram? Why is it bombing people, and then God allows it to happen? In fact, I remember those days when we were young, younger Christians. They would tell us that um, it's ignorance. People don't understand that it's not God. It's the devil. <laughs> I grew up and said, sir, let's leave that thing. That's not the explanation that the Bible gave. It's not God, I agree. It's not the devil too. It is the people. That's what I wanted to understand. It is the people. Why are things upside down? It's not the devil. They say that Adam sowed the leaves and that's not so. You know, we used to say things like that. That's because the devil is now in charge. And in our quote, Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 for us, that the, the, what do you call it? The God of this world. You know, that we must understand the God of this world was referring to peop, something people worshipped. What they focus on. It does not mean he's a controller. The Bible makes it clear. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. And that was in Psalms. See, people have control over things that happen on this earth, but not the way they think. You cannot wake up in the morning and decide that I want the economy to be good. That's not the control you have. The control you have is if you want the weather to come, the climate to continue to cooperate with you, and you want the economy to be good, you want prosperity to, to come, you will go and order your steps before the Lord your God. I hope you're getting my point here. So if there's trouble, it's a result of disobedience. Are you getting my, what I'm going to emphasize? So, you, we, people, on this earth, we have control on what happens. That is, you see Israel. God kept Israel there as a nation and made it, that is, I mean, when he was bringing them in, he removed the people that were there. He brought in the Philistines at the same time. They came in about the same time, Israelites and Philistines. And he put the Philistines there as troublemakers for them. 
So every time they sinned against God, the Philistines inside them and the neighboring nations will defeat them. But they could not just deliberately plot and scheme and organize their military to throw off those people. They had to reconsecrate themselves to God. It's in consecrating to God and obeying God that victory comes into their lives. That was a mistake they made when they asked for a king. They felt that if we could organize ourselves, and you hear, you know, you know I said to you last time, it upsets me when Christians talk like unbelievers. I was watching a man, somebody forwarded a video to me, well, to a group I, where I am, a few days ago. I said to just watch the video. Most of the videos that get forwarded, that, that get forwarded to me, I don't even click on them. I don't know what's inside. Nine out of ten, I don't check. But this I just had to open it. And one African was talking somewhere, explaining how, Af- <laughs> how Africans have done better than Europeans, Europeans in managing diversity. And I agree with him. He said that we have done better than Europeans in managing diversity. I said, wow, that is true. That most European countries you have is just one group of people. Most of them. And that usually when they are plenty, they scatter after a while. I said, that is very true. He said, but Africa, you come to Nigeria. You know how many groups you have in Nigeria? And it's like that all over Africa. I said, we have still remained. So that we have tried. I said, yeah, I, I agree with you. But he was asking, I said, the problem of Africa. He said, Africa now needs to rediscover itself. I started laughing. I feel like knocking the video. Hello, sir. Hello, sir. What is the meaning of what you have said? It has no meaning. You think you can just gather together and say, organize and you become strong. You can gather together, organize and have a vibrant economy. You got, it doesn't happen. The forces controlling things are much bigger than you. So when I see Christians thinking that the problem of this nation, I say, my friend, get away. The problem of this nation that we don't have a true federalism. I say, get that true federalism. You will see another set of problems. The problem of this nation is, that, I just see ignorant people talking. They are the people that shout the problem of this nation to love their neighbors. They don't love their neighbors. They are talking about the problem of this nation. Tell them to stop cheating people in the market. They don't stop. They are talking about the problem of this nation. Let them stop cheating on their wives. They have refused to stop. And they are talking about the problem of this nation. I say, these things that you are calling the problem of this nation, or these things that you are doing are the real problems of this nation, not the ones you are calling the problem of this nation. Some of those things are the consequences of your iniquity. <laughs> now, please let me explain what they say. So you see, Israel made that mistake. They felt that if they can solve the problem of this nation, for them that time, was we don't have a standing army. Every country, look at it. The Ammonites, they invited us and they won. You remember there was a man in front. That was their king. And there was a particular guy at that time that was attacking them. And because of him, they raised up, they needed a king, they demanded a king, they got a king, and Saul defeated the man. And that's the first problem in life, when your iniquity pays off. When your disobedience pays off. Hmm. Oh, it's a problem. When you disobey God and you make money, you're in trouble. Because you will be consolidated in your disobedience. It would have been better if you disobeyed and you failed. But Israel disobeyed and succeeded in their disobedience. And that was the beginning of their problems. So, now I'm trying to explain something here. So the will of man and the will of God, they overlap. Sometimes what God wants to do, the man, man does not agree. That is mankind. We don't agree. So what he wants to do does not happen. People will not start blaming the devil. That's what I'm talking about, the way we're learning those days. They start blaming the devil. They start blaming them. Um, uh, this, this country has not come together. Some actually say there is no God. If there was God, why is there famine? If there was God, why are there earthquakes? If there was God, why did the plane crash? If there was God, what was God doing? The solution is what? There is no God. Meanwhile, the truth, the truth is that the things that are happening are happening because of the works of the people on the earth. And many times, the God that you are denying his presence is the one that passed the judgment that said those things must happen. And you can't wish him away. Now please, I'm saying all of this to just emphasize something to us again. That our deliberate obedience is important. So if God has written something about us, it is possible for that thing not to happen at all. It's possible. The fact that he said the people of Israel should come to the promised land does not mean they will enter. Because he has, the arrangement is that his will is number one. Their will, too, must cooperate. And I, like I was saying, it's not that it's their will, is that we want the promised land. They wanted it. But to get the promised land, you obey God into the promised land. You don't just go and collect it. You obey God every step of the way. When you disobey him, you are rejecting the promised land. 
And that's how many times, you know, I, 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 you know, I've explained it here many times that, you see, the word of God has different aspects. Many people like to claim the promises. But there's what the Bible calls the way of peace. What's the promise? Peace. Prosperity. He said, but there's a way that leads to it. So, anyone who fears God, you know what he does? He teaches him in the way that he should do what? He should choose. So, you see, if God loves, if you love God and God loves you, and he wants to fulfill that promise in your life, he will give you instructions on the way that you should choose. He cannot bless you if you disobey walking on that road. I hope I get my point here. So bear these things in mind. So all of us have books. And from the book in our hands, if we study our scriptures with prayer, if we study the scriptures with inspiration, if we understand that it's not just a book of instructions, it's actually a way by which we look beyond the physical into the spiritual realm. Reading through your scriptures, you can see portions of your own book. Now, you must be deliberate. You know, the word deliberate has been coming up again and again in the things that we have been teaching for some days now. Of course, what we have been teaching is faith. How to build up our faith. How to ensure that we walk in faith constantly. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't please Him without faith. You can't walk for God so hard He will be pleased with you if there is no faith in your heart. And many people, that's what they are doing. They are laboring hard for God, but it's not a result of faith. It does not please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. The power of God is not re- released and revealed in us, except there is faith in our hearts. That's what is called grace. If, it is by, if it's going to be by grace, it has to be by faith. He said it must be by faith that it might be in accordance with grace. What is grace? Is God's power manifested in the lives of his people. Grace is not just unmerited favor. Grace is the method by which you get results. Grace is the method by which you succeed in life. Grace is the method by which God's plan for your life will be fulfilled. And the Bible says it has to be by what? Faith. So the degree to which faith is found in us is the extent to which the power of God is manifested. That's what we call grace. Now, so, we have a duty, therefore, to build up our faith constantly. We have that duty. And I've been explaining that there are four areas in which we deliberately do that. First, we said in the interpretation, how we understand life. He said, by faith we understand. So we said that we must deliberately build our decoding, our interpretation, our viewpoint of life on God's word. That is faith. That way we are building faith. Remember, it is not as if I use my faith to get something small from God. Then I will not be able to get something big. That's not what it is. If it's small, if it's big, I understand my relationship. Where did it come from? Understand my relationship with life. That thing, where did it come from? That understanding is exercise in faith. So we established that. So I always interpret my life from the word of God. That's when we're building faith constantly. Then we said number two, our expectations. I'll go back. That's when we're continuing on today now. Our expectations in life must be built from God's word. And we said there are two things, there are two areas in that. Number one, the things that we're going to have. That is like now. Will I have long life? Will I have prosperity? Will I have health? I hope I get my point. Will I have a family, a successful one? Those things must be built on God's word. I'll talk about that further. But another portion of the expectation is, what will my life become? What will I achieve for God? How much of God will be manifested through me? How much of that book, now that's what we're talking about, will be manifested and completely fulfilled in my life? That's another thing where I deliberately form based on God's word. And that's what I'm talking about today. And last of all, we're talking about the words we speak. So we're taking this one by one. Now, so we're on this particular one now, that... What are the expectations we have for life? Remember, life is always, I mean, let me put it like this. this is what the world tries to do. Trying to draw us away from the path of God. It's always trying to do that. To draw us away from what God wants us to do, from what God wants us to have. Life is always drawing us away. I said that what God has written in his books, we must be deliberate in fulfilling them. And how do we fulfill them? Is little by little he opens them up for us. So, and each one we have, we go ahead and fulfill that until it opens the next one. Now, the point I was making is this. Everybody, now you must know it. Everybody has a book. And you must fulfill your own book. So, when you are building expectations in life, that's how you exercise your faith. 
you build your expectations based upon the understanding, the revelation of your book that you have. Let me say it further. Paul said to us in Romans chapter 12, he said, each one of us has grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Do you understand that? Each person has grace. Okay? So we are to exercise it accordingly. What was Paul saying? That you see as a believer walking with God, as a believer fellowshipping with, with the Holy Spirit, reading the scriptures, praying, you will discover that you have ability that other people don't have. He said, exercise that. It is leading you in fulfillment of that which God created you to fulfill. Do you get the point I'm making here? Please, I'll, 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 I'll just continue talking. Eventually, everything I'm saying, it, it will come together, okay? Remember the point I'm making here is this. You have a book. You have a book. Your desires must be to fulfill what is written in your book. The world is, no, see, the world also writes a book for you. Are you getting my point? The world writes a book. When I say the world now, your father is part of the world. Your mother is part of the world. Your friends are part of the world. The environment you live in is part of the world. Your society, if you, that is the tribe you, you say you are from, they are part of the world. All of them write their own books for you. There are those who think, you know, for, for a long time, just to give an illustration of what I mean by the society writing books, when I was a little boy, if you were not a reverend father, an ordained Anglican priest, those are the people that were doing proper ministry, as far as we understood, okay, when I was a child. If you say you're a pastor, you're an evangelist, you're a failure, as far as we are, that is like, either you failed somewhere else, you don't have work again, or you were succeeding, but God has not called you unto failure. And you don't blame I mean, that's what the elder, the old ones around us thought, spoke about. And little ones, we bought them. And especially when you saw these evangelists, the Reverend Fathers always had a car. The Anglican priests had decent homes. But once you see a Pentecostal evangelist, picture of poverty. Really. So, those days when somebody said they give their lives to Christ, the families... Look, there was no rejoicing. Now, when you give your life to okay, God, everybody's happy. That your life will take direction. Those days, you rather your son smoked a bull than give his life to Christ. Because the ones that gave their lives to Christ, you don't even know whether they are, whether they are really not smoking a bull too. Because when a man's clothes, you know, is dirty, when he tells talk to him, he says, This world is not his home. And I remember when I was in secondary school, I had a few teachers like that. One of our teachers, an SU guy, he had a friend. As young as I was, I was a little boy, very little. The man spoke one day and I said, oh God, ah, this one don't pass, be careful. Like we say, this is too much. This was 1980. When did them, um, 83 now? When did um, uh, Buhari and Idiabo take over from Shagari? Okay. Ijoma <laughs> is turning her head. December 31st, yes, 1983. So this was 84. So it's like, ah, so where were we that time? I was a little boy. I was in, so 84. I was in secondary school. So that day we finished discussing with their house, you know, like they were our Bible teachers. So we were walking away with them. And the man was trying to emphasize towards the fact that he doesn't know what's going on in this world. He now said the other day they were telling him something, something about one man. He was trying to remember the name. One of these people that just took over. And after a while, Somebody say, Diagmo. say, yes, Diagmo. In my mind. If you forgot Buhari, it's okay. You can't forget Diagmo. You couldn't forget Diagmo. Oh, people, you don't get my point. This, see, this is our head of state now. He has always been like this, very cool. He doesn't talk much. He had a deputy. Baba Tunde Diagmo. Diagmo was a man known for not smiling. It was a national discussion that he does not smile. Everything Buhari did, we all believed the Diagbon did it. The day they caught him smiling, it was newspaper headline. And, and, and that's not a joke. One newspaper put it there, the day Diagbon smiled. That was the headline that, that day. That was the, when you say dictator, he was a dictator in Nigeria. He was a no-nonsense man, not our correct of state. He was the no-nonsense person. Why against discipline? It was Idiagmon was a hard man. He ruled this. It was second in commando. What they call chief of staff, supreme headquarters those days. Yet the country feared Idiagmon. 
The fear of the diagon was the beginning of wisdom. Oh, the man, the man didn't take nonsense. Like after I do, you see who I've talked to you about now, then the Christian says that he doesn't know his name. Do you get my point? I, I was a little boy, but like, oh God, that's going too far. For in the interest of peace, you should know his name now. Now that was the picture of Christians that we had. Now, you see what I'm, what I'm talking about. So over time, as we began to grow and develop, my God is not a poor God. Thank God for Archbishop Bessie Dahosa. He landed on the scene. Bam, bam. With Agbada so heavy. We were watching the Agbada. We were not even listening to the gospel he was preaching. <laughs> the embroidery on his Agbada alone was something to be... And that's how he went for crusades. So we learned my God is not a poor God. Now, you see why I'm talking about it. So many people, when they wanted to answer the call to ministry later, now, combine those two things. After a while, we were no longer, okay, let me just explain it properly. After a while, we're no longer afraid to have a car. We're no longer afraid to dress nice. But ministry did not decide to pay because you now believe that you can drive a good car. So many people that God called to ministry, that's where I'm going, decided therefore that before they will answer to the call to ministry, since the, call, the ministry is not paying, you know what they will first do? They will first go and settle themselves first. They will build a house, buy cars, invest money, buy shares in First Bank, GT Bank, Mobile, now MTN has joined, buy shares, then make sure they have a passive flow of income. Then they will now answer the call to ministry. Now, listen to me. Why were they behaving like that? Because they wanted the society to know that we are not in ministry because we are failures. But you know what they don't realize? In that process, they are obeying another script. They have abandoned the script of God. I don't know that you're getting my point. That's I told the whole story. Sometimes you don't realize it. A new man came to Jesus. He said, I will follow you, but first let me go home and do what? Bury my father. What Jesus was saying in effect is this. You see, you are now obeying the script. The book written by your father. Not the one that God wrote about you. And that's an important question. Listen, in this life, ask yourself, who am I obeying? Jesus, Peter, he loves Jesus so much. We read that last time. Jesus said to him, I'm going to die, I'm going to be crucified and all of that in Jerusalem. And Peter said, this must not happen to you. That's love, isn't it? That should be love. But you know what Jesus said? Get behind me, Satan. Why? You see, the script you are playing out now is not the script of God. It is the script of man. He said, you are not minding the interest of God. In everything in life, God has an interest. I hope you're getting my point. In everything in life, God has what? An interest. There is something he wants to achieve. Like I was saying that back lake, you know, I told all of you, please, get the message. Okay? Get a back lake message. If you don't, just book it. Let them make a copy for you. The one I preached last Monday. Because in everything in life, you, ask, you must ask yourself, what is God trying to do? In the midst of adversity, there's something God wants to do. You know, m- most of us, what we want to do is run away from it. But we don't realize that the adversity <laughs> is God's method of getting some things accomplished. Look, persecution, for example, Jesus said that when he was talk- giving his parable of the sower, he said that the ones that withered, what happened to them? They sprang up quickly. Then the sun came upon them, right? And what was the sun? When he was going to interpret, he said it's persecution that came because of the word. Now, this is the point. We now know the sun is persecution that came against the word. True of us? Good. But let me ask you a question. The ones that bore fruit, did they need the sun? Biology, simple agriculture. Did they need the sun? Without the sun, there's no photosynthesis. That meant that they also had to face the persecution. So the trials of life, that's why James said, Beloved, count it all 
joy when you fall into diverse trials. The other day I was preaching here, and I explained that overcoming, was it here on the back of the camp? I'm not sure now. But we said overcoming does not mean that it's in the process of going through challenges. There is something that you become. For example, we said that Joseph, overcoming for him was that when he saw his brothers later, he felt no anger and no animosity. Then that means he overcame. It is not that now I won, I'm now on this throne. That's not overcoming. Because we are dealing with spiritual substance here. We are not dealing with physical substance. So for Joseph, it is that he saw his brothers years after. Years after. Nothing less than maybe something like 13 to or more years later. Yes, no, definitely more. Because he entered into the throne to serve Pharaoh around the age of 30. The first seven years of abundance was gone. Some 20 years later or more, he saw his brothers. And you know what he felt for them? Pity. That's what the Bible calls overcoming. It's not that, yes, ride your chariots around them. Let them see that. Let my enemies live long and see what I will become in the future. <laughs> no. It is that he saw his brothers and he wasn't angry. They were the ones angry with themselves. They lived in fear for a very long time. Hiding behind their father. When their father died, they said, oh, Barry, the reason why we have been safe has been removed. They now was not delivering a message their father never gave. They went to Joseph. Good morning, sir. Your dream has been fulfilled, we thank God. But there was no way in the dream. Our father said there was no way in the dream. They said you killed the other sheep. So. <laughs> it was just bowed. They bowed down. We have bowed down. What else? Our father said shouldn't punish us. Decades after that thing happened, they were still afraid. So the man was pitying them. That's what we call overcoming. Listen to me, people of God. What we are going after is spiritual substance. Is spiritual substance. I have thought about it so much in this life. Eh? There is no look. God says, listen, if it's money, I can wake up and go down, go to up tomorrow. He knows that I gave him the money. I can say, okay, why are bank two billion naira? And he can't say no. One, he has the money. Two, he knows who gave it to him. Three, he knows if he doesn't obey, I'll collect it. But God says, oh, if I give you three billion naira, two billion naira, what will you do with it? Are you, is your life going to improve? No. What I'm doing in you, in you will be spoiled. So, Listen, that's, don't worry. Don't worry about the challenges of life. I know what I am doing. I hope you are following what I'm not explaining here. So the world, what they do sometimes, they write their own scripts. In the midst of challenges, ask yourself, what is the script of God? What has he written? We said the last time, that listen, the most blessed person that ever walked the surface of this earth is Jesus Christ. He was the most blessed. Nobody, in fact, we all are trying to attain to that. Yet his life ended the way he did. Why? That's the book. That's the book. That's the book. And he saw the book. I have an understanding. That when Moses and Elijah came to talk to him, they came to open some more pages for him to read. They came to show him certain things. Because don't think that Jesus on the earth knew everything. He did not know everything. No, while he was walking on the earth, he didn't know everything. He only knew what was shown to him each time. And that's why he would get there and say, where have you laid him? He didn't know where they laid him. When he came to the Lord's Lazarus, you know, he asked them, where, where is he? You think it's everything he knew? No. God used to reveal things to him bit by bit. A, man, a young boy was sick. He asked the father, how long has he been like this? The father had to offer the distance since he was a child. He didn't know everything just walking around, just walking known. Wisdom came to him. That's revelation. Understanding came to him bit by bit. Bit by bit. I'm still convinced that when that woman, when he said what he said to the, the woman, the Syrophoenician woman, he was convinced 100% of what he said. This woman, you're not going to get anything. Why? It is not right to take the children's bread and give to dogs. So this prayer just tickled the woman. Tell him this. And as soon as the woman said what he said, 
But the dogs filled from the crumbs that fall from the master's table, from the children's table. Suddenly, that was new revelation for him. Why? Because he laid aside his glory when it was coming down. To know everything is the glory of God. He la- so that's why he had to, you know, be told things okay, you know, a lot of times. And that's why I have the conviction that Moses and Elijah brought the new revelation of the next phase to him. And the last one was brought by angels in the garden. It was a nevertheless, because God didn't let him fully know what that death and that sacrifice was going to accomplish. But when he was ready to go through it, because it was the will of the Father, not because he fully knew what would happen, but because it was the will of the Father, and it was agonizing because it was a difficult thing, the Bible says angels came and strengthened him. Over the years, I've thought about it, meditated, and this is the only understanding I came to. That they came and opened to him a portion of the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, and showed him what was going to happen as a result of his sacrifice. And as soon as that vision was clear, he received strength. Clear vision gives strength. It's the will of God. It gives strength. Please, I hope you are getting my point here. So each time he had to, he had to obey the next portion of the book that is revealed. And all of us have books. That's what I want to make. We all have books. And our, the quest of our hearts, as I will build our faith, is to get now. You know, last time we were talking about our desires, our expectations. Where does it come from? In fact, I realized that on Tuesday, last Tuesday, when I was talking about, and if anybody listening to this, please try and listen to that series, like hope to, uh, Divine Hope to Live By. I talked about where desires come from. That you must go into the word to generate desires. The world is always trying to generate desires for us. They will settle down and tell you what you should have and what you should not have. I saw a woman once. Ah, I felt like tapping her. Then my sister, why did you marry? I had never seen that degree of frustration. In that, you know, the child was crying. We were there together on the table talking in a friend's house. She also came visiting there. So, about three families therefore represented. Mine, hers, and our host. You were just talking about challenges. challenges, challenges. Then the, the, she had the little baby. The baby's eye cry. You know, there was a way she showed the girl. I beg, is it because of her I will not enjoy my life? If I was God, I would draw that baby that day. And not of anger. We talked for some time. See frustration. Hey, wants to go and study this one. And that, uh, and of course, next question is that uh, 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 the husband said she will not follow. He will not follow. But he will let her go. And if he's the one now, she will follow. In my mind, that's why it's called a husband. Why are we pretending as if there's no difference between husband and wife? Now, if the family is broke, do we blame the woman? We don't. We look at the man. Your children have not eaten. Even if you are broke, go and carry one. Bring something home. If the children are broke, we don't blame the woman. Even though we know women can earn. Even though we know women can do business. And many of us will earn. Many of us will do business as women. But if there's a problem in the family, you de- the blame is never on you. If the children have not eaten for two days. What kind of man is that? What ca- the only time they blame the woman is if they find out that she's hiding money. Ah! And you call yourself a mother. You know that kind of thing. But normally we don't rain the, the blame. We don't put it at the woman's feet. And so that day, I, by the time I finished, ah, I looked at this girl. I said, what a pity. Why all of this? Because the world has written things. As a woman, you need your own career. You need to establish your own identity. You do not live in the shadow of a man. This is modern day. Now, these are the scripts written by the world. A lot of times Christians read these scripts and walk by them. If you want to know you have a mental problem as a Christian woman, go and join women's liberation. Just know that your head is totally, absolutely not correct. Feminists are of the devil. Should I say it again? So that you know I didn't say it by chance. Feminists are satanic creatures. So you see the world, they write their script. And many people are just following the script of the world. They are following it. In every situation, you ask yourself, what is the interest of God? And that is how you begin to contact what is written about you in the realm of the Spirit. 
Remember I said everybody has a book. The desire of your heart must be to fulfill your book. And like I was saying last time, I'm still developing it further. We saw a few examples. Of course, Jesus we know. John the Baptist, they came to him. Who are you? Are you this person or that person? He said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Isaiah chapter 40. Now, what was he saying? That is my portion of the book that we all have. Through that portion, I understand things written in the heavens. Once he discovered that portion, he could look closely. And through it, God will take him into the bigger book out there. And that will determine where he stayed. So if you complain that there was no water in the wilderness, he wouldn't leave. Why? He was the voice of one crying where? In the wilderness. If you complained and said, John the Baptist, there are snakes in the wilderness. He couldn't leave. Why? The book says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. You know, many times we're making decisions in life. It's because we have not even bothered to realize that something was written about us. Remember, we say, building our expectations in life. Two sides to it. What we are supposed to have, but what we are supposed to become and accomplish. John the Baptist said, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. In that process, he began to read deeper parts of the book. The book said to him, there is one mightier than I that's coming after me. He said, the tongue of the sandals, I'm not worthy to unfasten. That is, let me explain what that that meant. The lowest servant in the house, or slave, was the one that washed the feet of visitors when they came in. So that's what he was referring to. That is, where he is, I'm lower than the lowest of slaves in the household. That's what John was saying. So, when he finally found Jesus, and and he explained something to them, he made it clear, I'm not the bridegroom. Are you getting my point? I am not the one. That one is coming after me. He said, my duty is just to introduce the bride to the groom. After that, I disappear. So John the Baptist, his desire for life, his number one desire in life was to identify Jesus accurately. I don't know whether you get what I'm trying to say. His own was not after doing ministry for 15 years, me too, I must hammer. The other man was his birthday. The congregation bought him a brand new G-class. I've seen pastors harass congregation. <laughs> the kingdom of people, I think you don't know anything. If you see some people there, I have a pastor, one particular pastor told me, they bought a car for him on his bed. He looked at it. He abused everybody. It's the kind of car he'll be driving. He carried it away and went to exchange it for a better one. John the Baptist, that was not his own. All I get out of this ministry, that was not his own. What was important to John the Baptist was simple. Will I identify him correctly? My duty is to introduce him to Israel. So I'm convinced, therefore. When he prayed, it was like, open my eyes that I will see clearly the one that you have sent. So one day the Holy Spirit said to him, upon whom you will see the Holy Spirit alight. And descend on and abide. Because Holy Spirit will come on people and disappear. This one will come and stay. Say that is the one. Then one day he was baptizing. (laughs) And Jesus came. And he heard, behold the Lamb of God. Ah. Cousin Jesus. I always knew you were odd. You know they were cousins. He said, yeah. And I've been praying all these years to recognize you. By the way, what are you doing here? For baptism. Because the person that I'm supposed to introduce does not need baptism. Do you get my point? Jesus had to give him another, another revelation to calm him down. After that, Jesus left. And he knew that his work was done. So he looking for trouble. <laughs> Say a business herald. <laughs> when herald thirty-five and brings to his head, so for what? I, I should be afraid you're not serious. I've done what I was supposed to do. 
Then one day Jesus was, you know, you know what happened that the congregation started going down? Because what happened that, you know, all the Israels and Jonathans left and went and joined. <laughs> so when you come, set up camera, nobody to set up camera, nobody to arrange anything. Nothing was happening again in the ministry. So where is it happening? I said that Oakland, just across. <laughs> so a new pastor has come to town. So they came to Jesus, to John. People are not loyal again. We were there when you baptized this man. He went outside the church down the road. 